Good morning. The southeastern portion of the great state of Alaska borders to the east by the northern half of the Canadian province of British Columbia. It is known as the Panhandle of Alaska. In the heart of the Panhandle, nestled amongst the great western hemlocks of the Tongass National Forest, exists a Native American tribe called the Clinkets. Each and every year in this Clinket village, a potlatch is held. And if you are not familiar with the Clinket word potlatch, a potlatch is a huge three-day celebration of both Thanksgiving and remembrance. If you attend a potlatch, it's a good idea to come hungry because you will remain seated in a large circle with the entire tribe for three days and during which time you will be brought plates of elk meat, bowls of venison stew, and an abundance of salmon berries. You will be brought plates of roasted corn, fresh baked bread, and a bushel of blueberries. And when you are so full that you think you cannot eat another bite, another plate of food will be brought to you containing halibut, clams, and mussels. If you attend a clinket potlatch, you will remain seated in that large circle with your tribal brothers and sisters for three days as your lap becomes full because it will be piled high with gifts. You will be the recipient of smoked salmon and woolen blankets. And when the gifts have been piled so high on your lap that they reach up to your nose, you will be brought more gifts, even when there's not room to hold anything else. You will be given salmonberry jam, moccasins, cedarwood carvings, and trophies from the hunt. For three days, you will hear beautiful music, sounds of percussion created by the pounding of fists on, on skins stretched out of beaver, tied across hand-carved Sitka spruce. And you will enjoy music and dancing, and you will hear the oral history of all the members of the tribe that have gone home to be with their Lord in the previous year since the last potluck. A family member of each of the deceased will stand in front of you holding a cedar rattle and shaking it while they tell the story and recall the history of the life of one who is said to still stand with the tribe but is no longer in their physical form. In this way, new life is breathed into old stories and a part of the ancestors lives on. But the real purpose of the potlatch, the real purpose of the three-day celebration, is to hold the entire tribe accountable in the spirit of forgiveness. If you attend the potlatch, if you accept the gifts of moccasins and blankets, if you indulge in that feast of salmon and elk, you simultaneously agree to forgive and be forgiven. You agree to accept forgiveness for all of your transgressions, and you agree to forgive all those who have trespassed against you, and all of you as a community are held accountable to one another in the spirit of that forgiveness. You are called to breathe new life into stories of past grudges, and from that day forward, you are not permitted to speak of them again. Here's how it works. If I happen to be in town and I run into my tribal brother John the day before the potlatch and brother John says to me, oh, sister Mia, good to see you, how are you? I may respond, oh, brother John, I'm just terrible. 
Brother Simon borrowed my plow last winter, and he has not returned it. Brother Simon is a thief, and he is a liar, and he is no brother of mine. At that time, Brother John is permitted to listen to my story without words. However, if on the day after the potlatch, I run into Brother John in town, and Brother John says to me, Sister Mia, good to see you. How are you? And I respond, oh, Brother John, I'm just terrible. Brother Simon borrowed my plow last winter, and he's he has not returned it. He is a thief, and he is a liar, and he is no brother of mine. On the day after the potlatch, and from that day forward, Brother Simon is no longer permitted to listen to my story in silence. At this point, Brother John must say, Hutchk! Hutchk! Sister Mia. Hutchk is the clinket word meaning no more. John must say no more. No, no more, Sister Mia. You attended the potlatch, and Brother Simon attended the potlatch, and that debt has been paid. Brother John is never again permitted to engage my story of betrayal, and he is honor-bound to insist that I do not bring up Brother Simon's transgression again. Furthermore, I am now f required to forgive Brother Simon whether or not my plow has been returned. Showing up at the potlatch means that forgiveness that Brother Simon and I committed to simply by attending must be honored. I'm not permitted to speak, it of, speak of it again, and my story of healing must be stronger than my story of brokenness. And all of you, my entire tribe, are held accountable to that. As we enter into to today's scripture, we encounter one of the early miracles of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has already called some of his disciples and performed a few miracles. He has already healed a man with leprosy and word of this revolutionary act has spread for miles and miles, causing those who are physically sick to long for his healing touch. Hear now the reading of God's sacred word. It's from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many, many gathered around, there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some came, some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they laid down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God by saying, 
we have never seen anything like this. In this morning's scripture, we encounter Jesus as he enters Capernaum at the end of his first missionary tour through Galilee. Mark refers to the time frame that Jesus has gone as some days, which suggests a significant interval of time has passed. The healing of the leper had created so much excitement that for a significant amount of time, Jesus kept out of the cities. Now, after the excitement has subsided a bit, Jesus quietly enters Capernaum and likely goes to the headquarters in the city, the house of Simon Peter. Whether or not the house belonged to Peter or not, we cannot say for certain, but we do know that when Jesus shared his power to call forth the forgiveness of sins, to call forth the miracle of salvation, he was not standing in a cathedral or a temple. He was standing in his sandals with them fixed firm on the dirt floor of a small home that was packed wall to wall with people, which is why the paralytics friends had to create a hole in the roof and lower him down into the building. When Jesus saw the faith of these men, when Jesus saw their collective faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. When I read this scripture this week, the word that struck a strong chord in my soul was the word there, as in when Jesus saw their faith, he forgave the sins of the paralytic. It was not the faith of one man that followed Jesus to, um, that moved Jesus to absolution. It was the faith of the tribe, the faith of friends, friends unwilling to be deterred, friends willing to do whatever it took to bring their brother to Christ. For me, the members of the Clinkett tribe and the friends of the paralytic are both excellent models of our journey to forgiveness. They're both powerful examples of how our walk with Christ is not something that we do alone, and they're both examples that our call to be Christians is not one choice that we make. Our decision to be a Christian should be an element of every single choice that we make. That's why we pray without ceasing. That's why we ask God to reduce us to love. That's why we come to church on Sunday morning, even at 8 a.m. or 10:15 a.m., to be together in the sharing of God's word. That's why in verse 9 of this morning's scripture, Jesus asks the teachers of the law, which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins were forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? That's a powerful question that Jesus is asking the teachers of the law, and it's a question that all of us as believers are called to ask ourselves. Because as humans, we can, at times, stay committed to our stories of brokenness, and we can, at times, continue to involve other stories or others in the stories of our betrayals far too long. How many times have you heard, oh, if you only knew the whole story, oh, if you only knew my family, if you knew my ex, if you knew my brother John, if you knew my mother-in-law, you would understand why I can't forgive. I say that very humbly, and I say that with great humility, because there have certainly been times in my life when I held a little too tight to a grudge or held on to a feeling of resentment too long. 
There have been times in my life when I shared my stories of brokenness with others, not as a symbol of solidarity in uh, having gone through the same struggle, but more so in just wanting to gain allies in the stories of my grievance. That's not a good thing, and maybe it's not the worst thing in the world, but if you find yourself being negative too long, or you find yourself sharing your story of betrayal too much, it quickly spins into negativity and gossip. And there are times when we let our discussions lend into gossip, even when our hearts and minds should be centered on prayer. I have a good friend of the family who is a church member of the church of my youth that I grew up in when I was a girl. And she still wears a t-shirt to, to Bible study every Wednesday that says, it ain't gossip if our heads are bowed. We slide into this because forgiveness does not always come easy, at least not in the short term. But scripture assures us that we are called to love our neighbor. We are called to forgive our enemies and ask forgiveness for our trespasses and forgive all those who have trespassed against us. And maybe it isn't easy, or it doesn't seem easy at first, but I promise you, withholding forgiveness and inviting your community, your fellow Christians, your tribals and brothers and sisters into your stories of brokenness, into your stories of past grudges, is a self-inflicted poison that only serves to distance us from Christ. Maybe it's hard to forgive. Forgive anyway. Perhaps it's uncomfortable at times to go up to someone else and ask for forgiveness. Ask anyway. Scripture does not inform us that the Christian walk will always come easy, and God does not always call us to be comfortable. You will recall that in Acts 16, we became acquainted with a Roman guard who had beaten and flogged both Paul and Silas during their time in prison. You also remember that Paul and Silas's reaction to the beatings was to continually sing hymns. I'm certain you also remember that an earthquake shook that jail, breaking the bonds of captivity, freeing every prisoner, and the Roman guard who'd been commanded to shackle Paul and Silas was in such despair for having failed at his job <clears throat> that he was ready to take his own life and pulled his sword upon himself. And that's when Paul said, stop, don't harm yourself. We are all here. That Roman guard fell trembling before Paul and Silas, asking what he needed to do to have the inner peace that he saw in Paul. And Paul assured him that he only needed to come to Jesus, that he needed to give his life to Christ. Paul's grace in loving the guard who'd just beaten him and baptizing that guard so that he could come to know salvation through Christ is no small miracle. But that's what Paul did. He forgave the Roman guard who would eventually become a member of his church. And he was able to do that because Paul stood with God. And with God, all things are possible. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The peace that only God can bring and that we can bring to one another through the power of forgiveness. Who can forgive sins but God alone, the scribe asks in today's scripture. They ask the question because they do not, as of yet, recognize in Jesus, God. We are called not only to recognize God in the form of Jesus, we're actually called to recognize God in the words and the actions and the faces of one another. 
it may be difficult to forgive at times. Forgive anyway. Let others recognize in all of you that you are members of the Christian tribe. Do not let anything become between you and the peace that comes from forgiveness. And don't forget that you are never in the deal alone. We, like the Clinkets, can help one another remain accountable in the spirit of forgiveness. And we, like the friends of the paralytic, can help bring one another back to Christ. If we are to call ourselves Christians, we are called to remind one another that we are living in the days after the potlatch. We are on this day and all the days that follow called to continually forgive and to continually ask for forgiveness. And in this way, we can create earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Loving God, my prayer for all of us this day is a prayer that we will remember the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we may receive eternal life. Let us go forward in the spirit of forgiveness as we seek to do your will in all things. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.